Under the Tartan Sky, episode 85, produced 5 September, 2021. A native British species, red squirrels were once common across the whole of the UK. But years of persecution, massive loss of habitat, competition with the invasive non-native American gray, and a fatal virus carried by grays has left the red squirrel population in serious decline. Today, Scotland is the red squirrel's last bastion of hope. I'm Glenn Moyer, and the Scottish Wildlife Trust has joined forces with other partners to save the Scottish red squirrel. What you need to know and how you can help is coming up here under the tartan sky. Are you .scot yet? .scot is the domain for the worldwide community of Scots. It became available to the public in late 2014 and is used by the Scottish Government and Parliament, the National Health Service in Scotland and thousands of other organisations and individuals around the globe. .scot doesn't mind where you live or what kind of Scottish connection you have. If you're Scottish by birth, heritage or affinity, or an association that practices and promotes Scottish arts and culture, or a business with some kind of Scottish connection, then .scot is for you. Best of all, it's easy to sign up to. Simply visit domains.scot, choose your domain name, and you're off and running. And by the way, if you're just looking for a wee blether, our email service will help you do that too. .scot, be part of it. The British red squirrel is one of Scotland's most beloved woodland animals, and yet it is facing a catastrophic population decline, and Scotland may be its last line of defense. As a species, its range extends from Siberia to Ireland. In the global view of the Red List of the International Union for Conservation of Nature, it is not considered endangered. But the rapid decline of the population across the UK has led to a dramatic Save the Red Squirrels campaign. More on that in a moment. Once the common squirrel in the UK, today only an estimated 160,000 survive, with 75% of those found in Scotland. The non-native American gray squirrel, introduced as pets in the 19th century, are now characterized as invasive. Larger and stronger, they can outcompete the red for food and habitat, and grays carry and can transmit a squirrel pox virus that has no effect on them but is lethal to the reds. They are considered today to be the proximate cause of the red squirrel's decline. But it hasn't always been this way, nor has the red squirrel always been as beloved as it is today. Human persecution once nearly eradicated the red squirrel. Author of the new book, A Scurry of Squirrels, Nurturing the Wild, Polly Puller writes in the August 2021 issue of the Scots Magazine, of the once-held opinion that red squirrels, quote, were viewed as a woodland pest, a varmint that needed to be culled, end quote. She documents how, in the 1860s, red squirrels were so abundant that on the Cawdor estate near Inverness in 1867, some 1,164 were killed in that year alone. And that's on just one estate. Puller writes that a bounty of sixpence per tail was paid on some estates, leading to the brutal practice by some of capturing red squirrels, cutting off their tails and releasing them in the misguided belief they would grow a new tail, thus doubling their bounty. She further writes that the records claim the Highland Squirrel Club accounted for the deaths of more than 82,000 between 1903 and 1929. To put that in perspective, that's roughly half of today's remaining UK population. 
It was only as recently as 1981, just 40 years ago, well within my lifetime and likely most of yours, that the red squirrel received legal protection under the Wildlife and Countryside Act. And thus today, its prime enemy is the American Grey, which has virtually eliminated the red in all of England, Wales, and much of Ireland. Thus, efforts to save the red squirrel are now squarely focused on Scotland. Dr. Mel Tonkin is director of the Scottish Wildlife Trust's Saving Scottish Red Squirrels Project, and has been since its establishment in 2009. The Trust has partnered with Scottish Natural Heritage, Forestry Commission Scotland, RSPB Scotland, that's the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, Scottish Land and Estates, and the Red Squirrel Survival Trust in a coordinated effort to stop the decline of red squirrels in Scotland and create conditions for them to thrive in the future. One of their major undertakings is the annual Great Scottish Squirrel Survey, set for 20 to 26 September this year. This event encourages the public to turn out, explore nature, and report any sightings of red or gray squirrels. Last year, despite pandemic restrictions, some 2,100 people participated and reported almost 3,200 sightings. I'll have details on how to get involved this year at the conclusion of the show. Recently, I was able to chat with Dr. Tonkin to learn more about the current status of the Saving the Red Squirrel project and how the coming annual survey helps that cause. First, though, living as I do in the USA, where the gray squirrel still, I think it's fair to say, is viewed largely as a pest, I wanted to know how the perception of the red squirrel has progressed from similar disdain to its current beloved status. Well, I'm tempted to say it's because of the, the, the charisma that the red squirrel has, but <laughs> but it, it's, it's really because Britain... Um, Having been sort of cut off from the rest of Europe for quite a long time during the Ice Age, um, and then flooding certainly as the, as the Ice Age began to as the ice began to retreat, we only have a certain number of um, wild mammals and indeed birds um, and, and I suppose that fauna and flora altogether, and we have managed to kill off quite a few of our native mammals, but here we are we, we still have this one. Um, and it, it potentially should be doing well because it is a rodent and generally speaking that you don't have a problem with keeping rodents alive. It's, uh, it's usually the opposite. Um, but it, it's really since the North American grey squirrel was introduced as a sort of um, hobby species, really. It was that people liked the look of them when they'd, when they'd found them in, in the States and, um, and brought them back to grace their estates with a, this interesting new squirrel. But, but we then found that it didn't live very well with our native red squirrel and it's, it's um, really replaced the red squirrel throughout most of England at a tremendous rate. You know, it only took about half a century to pretty much clear England of red squirrels. Yeah, see, I, I was gonna say it was because he was red. They're just cuter. <laughs> Well, um, you know, I, I have a little bias there. I, I do think they're cuter. But having said that, <laughs> you, you know, when you when you speak to people in the, in Britain who are who are very fond of grey squirrels because that's the only one they see, um, it's it's contact with wildlife, I suppose, for a lot of people who are in a predominantly urban situation. Um, people like grey squirrels, so they they have a certain charm as well. But um, just not, they don't quite get as get my vote as much as the reds. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I think a lot of the people in the States would argue that, that the greys have uh, charm, but but we'll see. Um, the red squirrel, though, the British red squirrel is not an endangered species per se. I mean, it, it, it ranges from, according to my research, from Siberia to Ireland. But in the UK, its numbers are indeed uh, dramatically decreasing and have been for a number of years. And yet about 75% of the population of red squirrels in the UK uh, now exists only in Scotland. It's been essentially replaced out of most of England and, uh, and Wales and, uh, and, and Ireland, Northern Ireland. So why is there still such a relatively strong population in Scotland? Mm, that's an interesting question. Partly it's a historical thing. Um, 
there were grey squirrels introduced directly into Scotland in in the late uh, 1880s and sort of early 1900s. Um, and they have begun, well, they did begin to replace red squirrels in, in a very uh, limited area across the central lowlands of Scotland, um, purely by competing for food and living space. It just so happened that in the south of England, it, it would seem that some of the grey squirrels that were brought over from America had a had a, a very virulent um, disease, that, a viral disease that they were carrying, which uh, has been named as squirrel pox. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a disease that grey squirrels carry with no visible symptoms. So if they're carrying it in the United States, you wouldn't, nobody would ever know because unless you test. But it, it turns out that red squirrels are very susceptible to it and they usually die of it within about two weeks. And people began to see quite early on, sort of even by the 1920s, that red squirrels were dying out suddenly as grey squirrels kind of moved in or even when they were just nearby, red squirrels would would suddenly develop disease symptoms and, and die out. And I think uh, uh, since then we've identified that this was a, a squirrel pox virus and that and that it, the reservoir does seem to be grey squirrels. Um, and as grey squirrels spread, so red squirrels disappeared. And we found that in a situation with the disease present, the replacement of reds by greys is, is sped up by about 20 to 25 times. So in many areas, greys will replace reds anyway, um, for various reasons, which I'm sure we'll come to. But where the disease is present, that happens really quickly. And we just didn't happen to have disease in Scotland until 2005, I think, was the first. Oh, okay. In my reading, it would seem to be fair to say there are three primary, I don't want to say enemies, but causes, let's say, uh, for the decline of the red squirrel population. Obviously, the introduction of the North American gray. Obviously, the squirrel pox that is related to, you know, number two is related to number one, the squirrel pox introduced into Britain by the American gray and loss of habitat. So I want to kind of delve into each of those. Um, let's look first at the gray squirrel, as you talked about. It was originally introduced as um, almost as a, a hobby type pet. I, I'm, I'm reading where they were introduced uh, by people who, who, again, as I think the red squirrel, and, and you obviously do think the red squirrel is very cute, they thought the gray was quite cute, and they were introduced uh, almost as a decoration onto estates, and then they've taken on from there. Is the gray, and how is the gray, uh, the principal threat to the red squirrel? It's the principal threat because I think without grey squirrels, red squirrels would probably manage. You know, as you mentioned, habitat has been um, very much decimated in, in these islands. But, um, you, you know, where there, where there is habitat, red squirrels will gladly um, occupy most types of habitat and uh, woodland habitat in Britain. Grey squirrels seem to be the critical factor and it's you know it has just been noticed that through watching this this tide of grey squirrels moving moving up uh, England and towards Scotland, that red squirrels are disappearing as the greys arrive, or you you know within a few decades, a couple mm -hmm. of decades of the greys arriving. And so, so I, I suppose your question is how does this come about? You, what what's is it the the is it, are you asking what the causal kind of relationship is there? Yeah, I mean they were initially brought over um, basically to to decorate obviously estates yeah. and more as a curiosity, and I suppose they didn't. You know, we joke about rabbits all the time. I suppose they just sort of procreated and and then went on their merry way, and and suddenly what was just a dabbling of gray squirrels as decorations became a very viable population that now is just simply continuing to grow and, and expand. Yes. Now, it, it just happens that gray squirrels are much better competitors. They, they use many of the same food resources that red squirrels use, but they're able to get more food value out of them. And there's one or two critical food resources that gray squirrels are able to make very good use of, but reds aren't. And I suppose the one that that has been identified is um, the use of acorns. That mm -hmm. turns out grey squirrels are very good at, at, at um, denaturing 
the phytotoxins that occur in acorns, which are there really to deter creatures from eating them, they don't seem to have any impact on gray squirrels. But if red squirrels eat too much in the way of acorns, they will actually kill themselves, you know, you know and of course they don't do it, but in captivity, experimentally, it's been shown that if you just feed red squirrels on acorns, they can't tolerate the levels of tannins, these phytotoxins that are, that are in the acorns. And so that creates quite a big, you know, it's a big seed in acorns, so that creates quite a big food resource that gray squirrels can make very good use of, and red squirrels, um, can, you know, just don't access to any great extent. And you do kind of wonder why. Well, why have they never um, evolved to, to utilize this particular food source? You'd think it would be obvious. Uh, and maybe it's because they've never needed to. Um, whereas the um, American gray squirrel exists in, the, in its native range in competition with fox squirrels over most of its range, it competes with fox squirrels, and also with um, Tamia scurus, the North American red squirrel, over quite a bit of the range. And they have had to become really good competitors, and, and they really are. They're very good. At, somebody once said they're very good at being squirrels, and they really, they really are. <laughs> I would assume then that a part of your role in saving the red squirrel is addressing, in some form or fashion, the threat of the gray squirrel. So... What's being done in that regard to uh, to try to balance or control the the interface between the interactions between the gray squirrel population that's growing and expanding and the red squirrel population that is sadly decreasing? Yes, well, I, it was a long time before people would would really sort of bite the bullet and admit that if if we want to save our red squirrels, they were they were designated as a priority species under the UK Biodiversity Action Plan. But it would seem, it, you know, it did seem that um, altering habitats to suit them wasn't enough. It, it, was, it still wasn't really stopping them from being replaced by gray squirrels. So in the end, we, we accepted that we would have to do something about gray squirrels. And so the, at the moment, the only real, really effective method that we have is lethal control of gray squirrels. So we live trap the squirrels in cage traps um, and then humanely dispatch the gray squirrels when they're caught. And we can, you know, because of most of the places that we are working, um, there's also red squirrels. We're able to release red squirrels and another non-target species. So this is why we use live traps, but it's it's quite an intensive method, uses a lot of uh, manpower. And so we can only afford to do it in particular areas so we've we've chosen to target all our work to where it can bring about the most benefit for red squirrels. There's just no way we can decide to we're going to blanket remove all the grey squirrels in Scotland. It's not going to happen. There just isn't the money and the resource to do that. Mm-hmm. So it has to be really targeted. So we've targeted in in particular areas where we think it'll kind of save the most red squirrels. And those are the the parks, I think, that you're talking about. the um, um, I know that's a, an, an acronym for, um, help me here, what it, parks. Yeah, priority is. areas for red squirrel <laughs> conservation. Thank you. I had it in my notes, but I couldn't find it quickly enough. Um, and I want to talk, well, we ha- of, I'm sorry, go ahead. We actually have, sorry, we actually have three different appro- approaches in a, in a way, in, in three okay. different landscapes. What what we still have in Scotland is a large um, population of red squirrels that exist without grey squirrels. And that is in the the, north, the highlands, the kind of northern half of Scotland, mm-hmm. in the highlands and, and the Grampian area. And they, they exist there um, to the north of a very dense grey squirrel population in the central lowlands. Now, it just so happens that landscape is very helpful to us. Um, the, the habitat that grey squirrels prefer is on the low-lying land. And there's a there's a geological fault, which which um, very abruptly changes low lying land to upland, and and red squirrels are still in there. And we can actually target our control to the key routes through the uplands uh, to stop grey squirrels from getting any further. So so this is our, one of our key um, ideas is to prevent grey squirrels from moving any further north. Hmm, than they okay. already are. So along the, this highland boundary fault, or, or highland line, we sometimes call it. So that's one landscape that we work on. 
a, a slight drawback to, to this is that we already have grey squirrels to the north of that centred on Aberdeen as a separately introduced population, not related genetically to the rest of grey squirrels in, in Scotland. And they began to spread out um, into the same red-only population of the Highlands and Grampian. Um, and there we're trying to eradicate because it's it's surrounded by red squirrels and, and we're on the road to actually removing that population altogether. And then we come to the south of Scotland where reds and greys are, are completely um, intermixed and not necessarily in the same habitat, but greys will be living in broadleaf habitat and, and low-lying land next door to red squirrels and conifer plantations and, and sort of upland. Um, and there we've just chosen areas where we think we stand a very good chance of of keeping grey squirrels either out or at very low density so that the red squirrels can continue to survive there. Well, that raises a question in my mind that may be completely ridiculous and, and be kind if it is. <laughs> um, but in my studies and the work that I've done, a previous podcast episode on saving the Scottish wildcat, the issue, one of the issues with the wildcat is interbreeding between domestic moggies and you know purebred um, Scottish wildcats. Do the reds and greys, do they interbreed or because of the squirrel pox, is that simply not a possibility? Um, it's not a possibility. Somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, I dare say, you're one of your listeners. I don't think their their chromosomes match up, so they just okay. cannot interbreed. Okay, okay. Well, And I think we should also point out that despite their growing population and the perception that, that they obviously are a menace to the red squirrel, the gray squirrel is under some legal protections in the UK. You can't just go out onto your estate and start dispatching them, to use a, a kind word, willy-nilly. There are protocols and processes that have to be be done. As you say, you have a, a live trap system and then a humane way of dispatching the, the gray squirrels. So I guess we should caution people that don't get riled up and go out you know, with a shotgun all of a sudden and start dispatching gray squirrels thinking you're saving the red squirrel. It doesn't work that way. Well, it, it doesn't work that way if you're if you're just killing grey squirrels in an area where they're just going to keep being replaced by the neighbouring grey squirrels. So it has to be on a landscape scale and connected and, and, and joined up. Um, as, as you mentioned, our the people that work with the project, and we do have a lot of volunteers working with the project, but we ensure that they're all properly trained to, to use the, the traps and to dispatch correctly. I mean, and in the most humane way. I mean, one of the things that, that we require of all our participants is that they check traps twice a day. That's not actually a legal requirement, which it's only once a day, but but it it feels sensible not to inconvenience red squirrels that are caught for mm-hmm. you know, for a whole day, but also just for the humane purposes of, of um, looking after our grey squirrels while they're waiting in the trap. So they, they, we make sure they're fed, we make sure they're sheltered, um, so that you know, from the elements and from um, interference by wildlife and, and dogs and things. So you know we do try and look after them as best we can while while they're while they're with us. Right. And you know and we do have to abide by laws. There are uh, there is a legal requirement to to um, not to inhumanely treat animals that are in in captivity or in your care. Right. And I guess that's where I was going, was just suggesting that landowners or, or members of the public shouldn't just take it upon themselves to go out and start eradicating gray squirrels. There are protocols and legalities that, that need to be observed um, in that sort of an operation. Squirrel pox. It seems more than a bit ironic to be talking about a virus among the squirrel population, given our you know, current world condition. We've seen, to draw a, a strange parallel, we've seen great progress with the, the sudden development of vaccines against the COVID pandemic that we as human beings are fighting. Is there vaccine work being done to control, to eliminate, to remove the threat of squirrel pox to the red, to the red squirrel? There has been work done. I don't think there's anything continuing at the moment. But um, there, one of the research stations here in, in Edinburgh has had come up with a vaccine um, which they'd proven within the laboratory context that it does protect red squirrels against 
squirrel pox. You know, if they were able to look after their red squirrels in captivity, so they would they would apply the vaccine through a kind of uh, scarifying the leg, you know, as, as much as you you would get a, a smallpox vaccine. Um, but it would create a horrible pox sore, which would in captivity be it would heal and the animal would would recover. In the wild, you'd have to figure out a way to deliver that to all these red squirrels. Um, and the only thing that people can, that seems realistic, really, is to deliver it in a bait. And then would you really want the squirrel to be suffering from, you know, these pox sores around the mouth for a while? You know, that might not be the best idea for a, a population of red squirrels that's, that's already threatened. So there are problems with with developing a safe vaccine and, and figuring out how to deliver it to red squirrels and how to, and you'd have to do a lot of testing to make sure that it didn't have some unfortunate side effect on other animals in the environment that might get hold of it. But probably an even bigger problem is the profit motive of who would make the thing. You know, it, for, for the current COVID threat, obviously there's a huge market for these COVID vaccines um, even if they're they're sold to developing countries very cheaply, there's there's still a massive market. There isn't going to be much of a market. There's kind of no profit motive for for pharmaceutical companies to get involved in manufacturing this stuff. So it's trying to how would you get enough of it to to um, be useful? It's just it's just tricky because it's because it's wildlife and it's it's not easy to deliver. Yeah, I mean, as you say, the delivery could be an issue because you can't just set up neighborhood, you know, vaccine centers and invite the red squirrels to come in, and it's well, not exactly. going to work that way. <laughs> but at least, hopefully, in the red squirrel population, you don't have anti-vaxxers, you know, to deal with all those political issues. And I don't want to go there. It's just a bit of an ironic uh, twist on a conversation, I suppose. Well, then let's talk about loss of habitat. Most recently, here on the podcast, I talked with. Trees for Life, and we looked at the work that they're doing to restore the Caledonian forest uh, across the highlands, which in many ways provides habitat for the red squirrel. And I know they're actually one of the many partners that are involved in work with the red squirrel. What has been the historical issue with loss of habitat and its impact on the red squirrel population? Oh, now in Scotland, um, a vast amount, well, in Britain generally, we have managed to destroy huge amounts of our woodland. And of course, all woodland would have been habitat to reds. I think somewhere um, the, someone's supposed to have written that at one time a red squirrel could have crossed from the East Coast to the West without touching the ground. <laughs> wow. But um, and that's no longer because we farm it mainly. And of course, roads and cities and, and everything else. Um, and I think... We, yeah, we started to to um, exploit our woodland oh, way back, probably in the Middle Ages already. It was you were already seeing an impact, um, and by the time it got to you know, the seventeenth, the end of end of the seventeenth century, there was very little habitat left. But finally, come come the the seventeenth century, the second half of the seventeenth century, and into the eighteenth century, landowners began to realise that they needed to plant this resource and so they started planting again um, and in particular in in the sort of between the war years where there was a lot of planting that, that went on within Britain um, to restore timber um, as, a, as a crop really as much as anything else but but also um, you know nowadays there's a huge huge movement to restore native woodland um, the Highlands was almost devoid of woodland. There were one or two little patches that that remained or, or had been removed but were replanted that were cut off from the rest of the habitat where red squirrels still survived. And so this is where Trees for Life came in with their translocation idea. Here are these far-flung, very isolated patches of, of you know, good big-sized patches of habitat that it would be very difficult for grey squirrels to get to. So if you put the red squirrels there, they should be um, able to survive without this continuing 
um, control of grey squirrels. It's just that they will be small remnant populations, and we would rather not get to that stage. And you know, within this project, the, the partners that run this project would rather um, focus on keeping the the most red squirrels that we can, rather than get to you know having remnant populations that with very limited gene pool. Hmm. Almost like creating, um, again, in the, I suppose, the popular vernacular, uh, red squirrel bubbles across the highlands. Yes. Sort of a useful backstop if everything else fails, but probably not the ideal. When You know, you don't, you don't want to lose, you know, 21,000, whatever it is. I can't remember what the number is now. That's <laughs> upsetting. I should be able to know this for a podcast. Um <laughs> Red squirrels from, you know, the, the massive populations that are still here. They are substantial still. Uh, and it would be a shame just to say, okay, well, we'll just keep a few in a, in a few little red squirrel bubbles. So are gray squirrels still being brought into the UK? Or is the growth of the population there now just natural evolution, breeding, expansion, etc.? If they are, I mean, why Why would you? Because there's so many here already. But <laughs> yeah. um, it's actually not uh, legal to do so. It okay. hasn't been probably since early 20th century. It hasn't been legal to bring them in. Um, and once you've got them in captivity, you may not release them either. So you may not keep them in captivity and you may not release them. So you don't have a lot of options there. One of the things that intrigued me about saving the Scottish red squirrel when I first started to learn about it was the survey that you do um, have been doing most recently. And there is a red squirrel week, which I presume is meant to build awareness among the public about the red squirrel population and its and the issues facing it. And then, of course, there's the the survey where you invite people to make sightings and report those sightings to, to gather data about the existing population. Tell me a little bit about that whole process. How did, how did the Great Scottish Squirrel Week come about? Well, for quite a long time, there's been a sort of Red Squirrel Awareness Week that, that's run across the UK by various wildlife organizations. A while ago, probably in about 2010, I think, we set up a way of recording red squirrels and gray squirrel sightings um, on a website, and that made the re- recording of of people's um, sort of incidental sightings much easier. During this phase of the project that we're in at the moment, which is called Saving Scotland's Red Squirrels, Developing Community Action, we're, we're aiming to get a lot more people involved in the conservation of red squirrels. One of the easiest ways you can do that is by reporting your sightings. And so we felt it might be quite fun to have a week where we really promote the reporting of sightings and uh, get as many people as possible to, to go out and, and report and, and look for squirrels and, and report them. It's not a new idea. Um, places, people like the Royal Society for Protection of Birds have a thing called the Big Garden Bird Watch and there are breeding bird counts and things. So it's not particularly new idea, but, it, but it's new to us. And so um, we've been doing it for three years running so far. Oh, no, t- sorry, two years running. This will be the third year uh, this year. I, I read on the website correctly, the results from 2019 suggested that uh, the population ha- had at least remained stable. Your annual, I think, spring survey that was based on, and I believe that was interrupted in 2020 because of COVID. What are you expecting to learn, uh, or what are you hoping to learn, perhaps, from the survey once it's conducted this year? Yes, well, we're hoping that as many people as possible can go out. Last year... Um, partly, I think, because of COVID and, and, the, and the way that people could really only leave their houses to go and take some exercise, we encouraged them to go and do it in places where they'd see squirrels. And we did manage to get um, over 3,000 squirrel sightings and uh, 2,100 people involved in reporting sightings just within one week. Now, 3,000 sightings is quite a lot. You, you know, often you'd only expect to get four or 5,000 sightings over, across a whole year. But to get 3,000 in a week was was um, fantastic. And what it gives us is a snapshot of where squirrels are, red and gray, at, at any particular time. So that we get some feedback about um, how our work is, is proceeding. Obviously, you don't want to be constantly killing a lot of things if it's not actually having the desired effect. So what 
So it gives us some feedback as to um, whether the red squirrels are thriving, whether we're, we're missing gray squirrels that in critical areas or, you know, and how, just how the, the project is doing. So it's a great feedback for us. And it will be great to have the same lot of people go out or more people go out so that we could get another snapshot at the same time of year just to, so we can compare it with the previous years. Well, I was going to say, you mentioned last year, of course, people's movement was very restricted. Now that the UK is removing a lot of those restrictions, are you expecting more participation because people are out and about more perhaps now after you know over a year of being somewhat shut in? Or will it be the case that people are so excited to be out and about that they aren't going to be paying attention to watching for squirrels? Well, I hope that our publicity is going to make them think, well, how exciting to be out and about, and I'll go somewhere new to look for squirrels, as as well as as people who go out in their in their sort of local neighbourhoods. Um, I'm hoping that we'll get better coverage. Um, it's it's always difficult to get um, what might you call it systematic coverage. You're just using people's op- opportunistic sightings, but you know the more we get, obviously the better the coverage, and and the more people go out and about to interesting areas. Yeah, I'm hoping that people will take that opportunity. And it's quite a nice thing to do, you know, to go out early in the morning and um, just go to a new area. That it's a, it's a reason to go there, to have a look for squirrels and see what you can find. You usually see all sorts of other interesting wildlife while you're out. When a person reports a squirrel sighting, what information do they provide you? And how do you cross-check? To, you mentioned 3,000 sightings in a week last year. How do you know if that was 3,000 individual squirrels or maybe, you know, 100 that got seen a lot? <laughs> well, I, I don't think you do. I mean, particularly in um, urban parks and things, people are probably seeing the same squirrels. But we basically, we just get a dot on the map. So however many people report on the same spot you, you really only see one dot so it's not so much the the numbers it's the, the spread and it's it's um just generally speaking the bigger your sample the, the better the, the spread hopefully and it certainly worked last year so it's more a case of location then as opposed to sheer numbers yes yes and squirrel numbers vary hugely from year to year um, from season to season. Um, so just getting actual numbers isn't that useful to us. It's really more about where they're distributed and you know whether red squirrels are holding their own in an area or being edged out by gray squirrels. It doesn't particularly matter how many, as long as the populations are still looking as if they're thriving. That is obviously Red Squirrel Week, um, September 20th to the 26th, when this takes place and and the survey that you do. But people can report sightings year-round. That is set up so that people can provide that information if they're of a mind to. What are some other ways, though, that the public can get involved in efforts to save the Red Squirrel? What what should the average Joe citizen in Scotland be doing to, to try and help save the Red Squirrel? Well, I think probably the easiest thing that that um, Joe Public can do is report their red and grey squirrels when they see them in, in as many different places as they can. Um, funding is always an issue, so donations on you know, online again um, would be fantastic too because we, we, we're always up against the limits of funding. Um, people can get involved in... In, in a particular areas, at any rate, you know, I talked about the targeted sort of landscape scale areas. If people live in those areas, which you, know, can, you can find on our website, they can get involved in the trap loan scheme um, and help us by actually trapping lo- locally. Um, otherwise, they can get involved in, in local groups in the south of Scotland in particular. We have 18 local volunteer groups that do all sorts of different things. They... Um, they do a lot of public outreach, do community engagement. They um, might be somebody who takes photographs and and or, or puts up you know, puts up their, the local group's website. There's all sorts of ways you can get involved in those local groups to to assist people's general awareness of of the issue and um, and to get more people involved in in helping us with our trapping schemes. 
So let's go back to the subject of the parks for a moment, the priority areas for red squirrel conservation. I found my note. <laughs> what is the real significance of these areas? And how did you go about identifying that, that these are specific geographical areas where you need to be working in and where your work can make a difference? Uh, now, that's an interesting thing. Um, back a, a little a few steps really to the history of the work in southern Scotland because all these priority areas occur in southern Scotland. Before squirrel pox arrived in southern Scotland, the, there was a, a previous project there called Red Squirrels in South Scotland who were very aware that squirrel pox year on year was getting closer and closer to the Scottish-English border and at some point would arrive. So they set up a sampling scheme where they're taking blood samples from grey squirrels right across the south of Scotland and getting them tested for specific squirrel pox antibodies. So they knew precisely when the, the, the virus first arrived. But to do this, they, they set up huge networks of landowners trapping on their own land, um, using some government funding schemes to, to help them maintain that trapping. Um, and setting up staff trapping as well, the, the grey squirrel officers. So they already had landscape scale trapping going on just for, for squirrel pox management. Now, it turned out that despite an awful lot of work, we couldn't stop squirrel pox from spreading. It's, it's carried on spreading north more slowly than it would have done, but it's now reached Edinburgh and Glasgow um, and we expect that sooner or later it will it will finish going through all the grey squirrel populations in Scotland, which is another reason to to not let grey squirrels infiltrate north of the Highland Line because we will then lose those red squirrels to the north as well. Um, so we have a lot. Of, we had a lot of experience, and what we found was all this control was allowing red squirrels to actually withstand the competition from grey squirrels and occasional disease outbreaks amongst red squirrels. They were still thriving in the landscape. So it gave us a different, you know, it gave us a way of thinking, oh, well, you know, maybe squirrel pox isn't such a disaster. We, there is something we can do. We can keep gray squirrel numbers low such that the disease doesn't um, circulate through the gray squirrel populations as easily and doesn't transmit to the red squirrel populations as easily. So, so in fact, what we probably did it, it, we used a lot of inf a lot of um, criteria to choose the areas that we turned into parks? One was where we already had landowner networks set up trapping. Another one was where people lived because we knew we were going to need volunteers to to do this. So we needed a, a, a good we needed the, the the red squirrels to be um, looked after in the areas where people would see them. That that would give them the motivation to to do that so but they, we also needed enough habitat to support them um, areas that may be slightly easier to defend from gray squirrel incursion so some of the big forests um, were included as well so there are i think we had 21 criteria but those are some of the main ones that we used i'm getting the impression and please correct me if i'm wrong that the reds and grays really cannot live side by side in the same habitats. There's, there's going to have to essentially be a separation of the two populations, um, that they, they simply cannot occupy the same habitat together. I think what it looks like is they can't do that indefinitely. You know, sometimes they can survive in the same area for um, 15 or 20 years, and then something will happen. Um, just for instance, in... 2019, in the autumn of 2019, um, the beech trees had the most amazing seed crop. It was just, you know, out of the out of this world, the, the levels of, of uh, seed that was produced. And as a result of that, grey squirrel abundance just shot through the roof right at the beginning of, you know, the COVID year, in fact, which was, which was very awkward for us because we couldn't get our staff out doing any trapping. Everybody was in lockdown. Um, and that kind of thing causes a sort of a, a step forward in, in the, the main ranges of, of grey squirrels. So they began to turn up in a lot of areas where they hadn't been seen before. And, and that's the nature of, of squirrels. They have boom years and bust years. 
And when you get a boom year like that, it can suddenly just overtake where you think the two species are living side by side fairly amicably. Suddenly they're not. Suddenly it's gray squirrels only and red squirrels have gone. We, we do have some areas in, in Scotland where the two species have been side by side for a very long time. And the one that springs to, to mind is our county, or they call it the Kingdom of Fife, which is a peninsula. And for some reason, reds and greys have both occupied that for probably 100 years now, getting on for. Wow. Um, and, and I don't know why. I really can't understand why. It may be that um, local people have been controlling grey squirrels, but not making a song and dance about it. But um, but I think there's probably something else going on with habitats or or something. But they they're still both species are still there, pretty much spread throughout, mainly with red squirrels in pine habitat and grey squirrels in in the more broadleafed habitat. Well, I guess to wrap things up, I'm going to ask you to turn a bit philosophical. I'm going to go back to our opening question, I guess, uh, about why the different perception of the the reds and the grays. And the question is simply that since the British red squirrel, again, as a species, is not endangered, but certainly it's, it's under threat in terms of its numbers having dramatically decreased uh, in the UK, and Scotland now being sort of the last stronghold, why a campaign such as saving Scotland's red squirrels. What makes saving the red squirrel so important to Scotland, to the UK, and to the world? Oh, now I think it's because people do tend to associate red squirrels with Scotland because they've so long gone from most of England. Um, and so it, it has become a sort of icon of Scottish wildlife. And there's something about the reason why people come to Scotland is for the the you know, fantastic landscapes and, and the wildlife. And this is, you know, an integral part of it. But it is a value judgment. You know, if, you, if you're asking me to go philosophical, it is a value judgment. And you either decide that red squirrel isn't a priority species and let it go the same way as many other species, or, or you try and keep it here. Um, ideally, you'd want to have to draw a halt to having to do all this grey squirrel control, you know, human grey squirrel control. Um, it's not something that conservationists want to do. It's, you know, it doesn't sit comfortably with us, but, um, and it's been a hard decision to 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 do this, but um, it's, at, it's at the moment all we've got. Although there are a couple of things in the pipeline that, that are promising. And probably the the most exciting one is the recovery of another persecuted species, the the pine martin, which was um, on its last legs as well, confined to a very small part of the west of the highlands, and has now made a dramatic recovery since people stopped persecuting it. And it turns out it's actually um, much better at taking grey squirrels than it is at taking red squirrels. So it's making an impact on grey squirrels but not so much on reds. And it's allowing red squirrels to come back in certain areas. The, the main area where um, some very detailed research and, and very large landscapes have been studied is in Ireland, where, where pine martens have really enabled the red squirrel, which was almost extinct, to recover huge parts of the, the landscape just by you know, the, the pine martens removing gray. So as Pine martens continue to recover, you know, as the native predator that red squirrels have evolved with. It may well be the, the thing that eventually can hold this balance for us um, by cre creating a more complete ecosystem and, and or, you know, food chain. Um, it, it may well be the critical thing. There is also work going on uh, to, to look at um, an immunocontraceptive for grey squirrels. I, I think that's going to be a long haul before it becomes... Um, useful because again you've got this this issue of how you deliver it to gray squirrels but that could also make it you know be a game changer if, if that comes to pass um i think it's also as i mentioned at the, and yeah when we started out is that britain has has not very you know not a huge range of wild mammals left we've lost a huge amount of our native species uh, across the board, across you know the whole range of um, animal species, 
And you're very happy to go out and tell people that, that they've got to conserve their charismatic, say, tigers, despite the fact that that they may be impinging on people's lives and, and livelihood. But we can't, as one of the wealthiest countries in the world, we can't manage to save our own um, very much loved species. And people do love red squirrels. I, I can't really explain why, but people are passionate about them. You know, when they're losing them from their landscape and they're being overtaken by gray squirrels, people are really upset. And, you know, there's a huge passion about um, keeping them where we've, we've still got them. My thanks to my guest, Dr. Mel Tonkin, director of the Scottish Wildlife Trust Saving the Red Squirrel Project. Red Squirrel Week 2021 is just around the corner, set for 20 to 26 September, and the Great Scottish Squirrel Survey will be taken during those dates. All ages, including children, are encouraged to take part. You're invited to share any sightings and photographs on social media using the hashtag Great Scottish Squirrel Survey. For more on the survey, how to get involved, and further information about the Saving Scotland's Red Squirrels project, be sure to check out the links in our show notes on the website at www.underthetartansky.scot. In a programming note, this episode is the last of our 2021 season, a recent bout with COVID-19, from which thankfully I'm almost fully recovered, but you may still hear some effect in my voice, Plus, seasonal travel demands of my day job through the month of October means further work on the podcast has to be set aside for now. I'll be back at work in November and December, gathering new interviews on a variety of topics, and we'll have new episodes to share shortly after the bells ring in the new year in January. Of course, you can always catch up any missed episodes in the archives on our website or in your favorite listening app. So until 2022... I'm Glenn Moyer, and as always, Topoli, I guess Alpha Gubra. Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. Have an idea for a future episode? Well, get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our username is at underscore tartansky. That's the underscore symbol, tartansky. And thank you for listening. <laughs>